What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 plus one football show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today. But with me, as always, is a man who, to me, is like a loss seems to be to Bayern München these days. It's Billy. Two in one week. Absolutely shocking. Well, technically, it's three if you if you count, you know, the one last weekend. So, Well, like Lewis said, we will be taking a look at a whole host of topics today. And we're going to start in the Bundesliga with Thomas Tuchel and Bayern Munich. They lost to VfL Bochum at the weekend. What is the problem? Is it just the coach? We'll also stay in Germany and we'll have a look at the fan protests in the Bundesliga against investors investing in their broadcasting rights. There's been some creative ways to protest, let's just say that. And then we'll move over to the Premier League where, I never thought I'd say this, but I am in defence of David Moyes and his predicament at West Ham. And we'll finish with a look at the Dan Ashworth saga. Never thought we'd see an official at a club touted for a transfer move more than some players. But all that and more right after this. Bill, I'm just going to come out and ask, what is the problem at Bayern München? Uh, the problem stems back, I think, if we can, if you if you'll allow me, if you'll indulge me, a little a little rewind noise right now. <laughs> Very nice production values on this show oh, yeah. are absolutely <laughs> unmatched. But... <laughs> the problem I think stems back to the evening of March twenty third, twenty twenty three. Uh, where Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salihamidzic decided the worst strategic decision since Bayern Munich decided to hire Jurgen Klinsmann as manager. Nagelsmann was sacked for the third loss of the season. Thomas Tuchel's currently sitting on three losses in eight days. So I said at the time it was reactionary and could come back to bite them. Safe to say I've been proven right with this one and... It's only a matter of time before we see a change in the in the dugout at Bayern. So you're going as far as to say that it's just it it is inevitable. I mean, I think a lot of fans would have said he's gone after a loss to Bochum. Is Tuchel going to stay the manager? Is he going to stay the manager? And you know, at first he was like, oh, "I'm just going to keep repeating myself again." You know, I know what you guys want to hear. I can say it um, only in the fashion that I would like to. Because, you know, saying that say or giving these manager backing statements isn't really my style, but I'll repeat myself. It's not something we're thinking about. And by this, he means axing the manager. And then when he was asked yet again, is Thomas Tuchel going to be the manager for next weekend's match? Funnily enough, against RB Leipzig, which is, you know, not just anyone. Dresden said, of course. Now, do you think like many Bayern fans probably thought that Tuchel should have already been sacked on the plane ride home yesterday. hundred percent. I thought it was going to happen after they canceled his post-match press conference. I thought that was definitely going to be something that happened, but it's always a, a slight indicator of where a manager's at. You know, you see it with Mourinho when he starts throwing his own players under the bus, that it's a sign that he's on the way out. For Thomas Tuchel to sit there and quote XG, I think is a big indicator of that's a man who's lost all control. So it was like, the defeat was not fair today. A lot went against us. We had an XG of 3.4. We had four, five, six top-class chances. 
Uh, we completely dominated the game. I went behind from nowhere, which, okay, fair enough. But Manuel Riemann made some fantastic saves. I was about to say, that clutch one against Leroy Sané in the last minutes of the game. Deo Upamakano for the second time in a week, hitting the self-destruct button and getting sent off again for giving a penalty away. It wasn't quite a match, you know, deciding penalty because at the time Bochum were 2-1 up. But, uh, you know, after the full-time whistle, there were angry discussions and, you know, almost a fight between Joshua Kimmich and the assistant coach, Zvolt Love. And a build, I know it's build, but we'll we'll use it anyway, that the relationship between Tuchel and Kimmich is completely broken. And you saw that when he came off yesterday. He looked like he was going to burst into tears on the tub bench. Yeah, no, it's not a great look. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you were to say that Tuchel and the whole squad, just something's not right there, you wouldn't be able to deny it. Because it just feels like it feels like a little like two two cogs that are trying to find each other, but they keep missing by like that much. And it's just goes to show that, you know, Tuchel, he's a great manager. And I think, you know, for the right clubs, I think he did. He worked wonders at Chelsea when he was, you know, allowed to have a say in transfers and didn't have a complete moron where the footballing uh, ideas are concerned up top making the decisions if you know it or in in a parallel world so to speak people probably stays at chelsea and then by hand maybe don't sack nuggets one because there's no good options out there i think if you can at some point just see as by on board that you know the team and the coaching staff just don't seem to gel then you have to make that decision and say this is it because we've we've been through this many times on this podcast during the season you know he's he's gone out and he's hit out at players um you know he said kimmy isn't a holding six when kimmy said he is a holding six I mean, for me, you can you can always debate about where Kimmich has his strengths and whatnot. But when the player himself says that he sees himself a, a certain way and, you know, he's won X amount of titles playing that position to then go in front of cameras in the media and say, you know, he's not that position is a little bit detrimental. It's not a great way to get the squad on the side. And... There was a little bit of a, a leak. It came from the Sky Germany news anchor, Ricardo Bazila. And I think you've got that one to hand. It came out after the Leverkusen game. Yeah, so apparently, and we this is still, you know, take it with a with a pinch of salt. But apparently, Sky got the information that a mole from the Bayern dressing room had basically told the news outlet that Tuchel said after the Leverkusen loss, I overestimated the squad. Maybe I need to stoop down to your level. Now, Bayern have since refuted this. So, like I said, take it with a grain of salt. Of course, they're going to refute this. But for me, the problem being, even if Tuma Suha didn't say it, they're going to be so and so many people 
who have seen him criticize players and basically say, you know what, the, this guy isn't who he thinks he is. There are going to be those people who say that because of those statements, they can see him saying what he has been, you know, let's say accused of saying. Because if a manager makes a statement like that, that that should be it. That should be the final whistle on on his career at that club. Because then he really is just that is just an absolute, you know, the the it's not something that you can put back together. That is just the manager and the team just very on opposite ends of a table. See, this is exactly one of the reasons why, as much as I'd love to see you managed by Jose Mourinho, it would just end in flames. Oh, 100%. Because he wouldn't say it in private, he'd say it in his post-match presser. Because I always remember after the Champions League crash out to Sevilla, he made a big point like, you know, do you know how many players from Sevilla would play in my team? There are many players that would play in my team. It's like, and the fans, they see the people that, uh, was it, um, the people that write and the people that say are people with a lot of ideas. And people with a lot of ideas are either idealists or idiots. I was like, yes. Well, I know, exactly. And see, and that's the thing, right? Because I, I talked to a few people at work about this as well. And they said, you know, I think a lot of people just have an issue with the fact that Thomas Tuchel is one of the first managers that really has, you know, not shied away from criticizing players openly. When you look at the last few, you know, Flick didn't do it. Nagelsmann didn't do it. It was more, they had more issues with, you know, the brass up top, so to speak, because of, you know, what the squad. And obviously Tuchel has also, you know, made his feelings about the squad very much known. But he's also gone and criticized players. I don't know. For you, Billy, if you were a Bayern fan, do you think that you would like the fact that Thomas Tuchel just comes out, says what he what he thinks and criticizes players openly? Or do you think that's something that should be kept behind closed doors? Because obviously, like you just said, you've you've definitely witnessed it with Mourinho at Manchester United, for instance. Well, that's the thing. With Mourinho, it's always an indicator that he's lost or losing the dressing room. So, oh, so you're saying that that's 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 it. Like, it's never a positive it. thing. Okay. You could understand if it was a tight game and that Bayern had played well, but there was, you know, somebody wasn't pulling their weight. You could understand that. But I think stuff like that should be kept internally. Uh, and something else that's interesting today is that in The Athletic, uh, Rafa, Raphael Honigstein, who's the, mm-hmm. uh, the authority on all things Bundesliga for The Athletic, that Bayern are targeting Xabi Alonso. Should Thomas Tuchel be sacked as head coach? But obviously, that move wouldn't materialise until the summer because there's no way that Leverkusen are going to let him go. We can talk about that as and when it happens because there's going to be a lot of people that want Xabi Alonso, Bayern, Liverpool, possibly Barcelona, but we very much doubt that. I highly doubt that, yeah. So, before we move on to fan protests, let's... Park Thomas Tuchel's blame for a moment because it it could be seen as it's not all of his fault, but I'm of the opinion a squad the size and a squad the quality on paper of Bayern cannot use an injury list as an excuse for these bad performances because every club has been going through it this season. Fair enough. But if you think about the fact that you didn't have Kim and Upamecano up until a few weeks ago or even a week ago, both of them fully fit, 
And to add insult to injury, you had Coman, Canabry, Lima, who were all being used or utilized as well to, you know, fill in the gaps when you had injuries. When, for instance, Jamal Muziala was injured um, in 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 the fall of 2023 and things like that. And at some point, you had something like 10 or 12 injuries if you include, um, you know, the squad players like David Peretz and and things like that. So you have had a little bit more or a little bit longer of an injury list than you usually would have. Basically that the squad is just not big enough to what Bayern want to achieve. Because, you know, you want to get three, three uh, cups in at the end of each year. You're going to have to have a squad of at least 20 players who could all play first team football, not just first team football, but starting 11 football for Bayern. And I'm not talking just starting 11 football in the Bundesliga, but 11 football for Bayern, one of the best clubs in the world. And you need 20 of those players. And arguably Bayern right now, maybe 14, 15. Okay, so another question. And this is, again, me taking a pop shot at your higher-ups because I cannot understand, <laughs> cannot understand the way that club is run by the people that are above the playing staff and the manager. Why wait if Thomas Tuchel was that vocal of his want for a number six? Why wait until the last few, you know, echelons of a transfer window to pursue Joao Paulinho? Well, that's one of the biggest things, right? It looked like a pretty simple deal to get done. The only problem was on Bayern's part, not giving Fulham enough time to find that replacement. If you go to them a week before, yeah, two weeks before, five days before the end of a transfer window, here's what we're going to give you. He's he's passed his medical. He's in Munich. He was ready to go, but you waited till deadline day. I mean, one hundred percent. I think there there are more questions being asked about the Bayern board than I think the board would want to be having, especially after the fact that you know you sacked Oliver Kahn, you sacked Hasan Zalihamidzic because it wasn't working. That was the right move. I stand. I would still stand by that, but. You know, if you just basically produce more of the same, it's not going to go too well. Because I think it, it wasn't just the Palinia deal. If you look at the fact that you give away Stanisic for two million in loan fees, and then go ahead and buy Sasha Boe for thirty million when you no longer have someone to play right back or even center back for that matter, and Stanisic was a was like a hybrid of both, and he was very good. And from your own youth setup, someone has seriously screwed up because no one can tell me, oh yeah, when they left, when they let Stanisic go to Leverkusen, Pava didn't want to leave yet, or Pav- the Pava deal wasn't done yet. Yeah, the deal wasn't done yet, but he definitely made his his thoughts known that he wanted to leave the club. So why you would basically say like, oh yeah, you know what, we're going to let one guy go who definitely wants to be here and fight for his place, and we're gonna let all our hopes rest on the one guy who said he openly he wants to get the fuck out basically that 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 in and of itself is also a problem and you know the culmination of that we saw last week where boy didn't have a clue what was going on in that game given he was being played way out of position but stanisic ran that game and scored against Bayern as well so that board is a little bit more than just the Palina deal, you know, stinking in the cupboard. Uh, Sasha Bowie, of course, now injured. I was going to say, add him to the injury list, 
by the way. Well, let's leave Bayern and Thomas Tuchel. If there is any breaking news with regards to that in the next few weeks, we will, of course, cover it. And we will, of course, see the man on my screen's slow descent into madness go <laughs> ever deeper. But can it go deeper? Really? <laughs> I'm sure it can. Let's just see how much Bayern want to put you through. But now, why don't you take a moment to explain to us what these fan protests are about? Because in the Premier League and in in the UK, we're very, very much happy to whore our broadcasting rights out to the highest bidder. Oh, we, we know about this. So basically, a decision was taken by the German DFLs or the German Football League to, as Billy would say, whore out the broadcasting rights for the Bundesliga to outside investment. Now, this doesn't seem to be, you know, like uh, like many of you English fans might think, to be that big of a deal. But, you know, the German fans don't quite see it that way. The DFL did ask, or they put it to a vote, for all first and second Bundesliga clubs, all 36 of them, and they got the motion passed by majority vote. Obviously, it wasn't all of them voting yes. There were some absentees and some votes against, but the majority passed the vote and said they would be okay with it. Now, the fans didn't take too lightly with this because in Germany, there's always a fear that, you know, football could become too commercialized and then ultimately the fans get priced out. And now this is the whole debate that we've seen with the 50 plus one rule. Um, it's basically the 50, the, the 50 plus one rule debate in a different form. Because the main fear that German fans have is that German football will become too commercialized. We'll see, you know, stuff like the Barclays Premier League, but we'll see it like, I don't know, the the Lide Bundesliga on uh, on Sky Sports, something like that. And they're they're fearful of that becoming an issue. And thus, then also the investor having too much power over what happens in German football and that he would also take that power or he or she or they would take that power away from the fans where it still resides today. Now, after that mouthful, Billy, would you first of all be able to now say, yeah, I can understand the fans viewpoint or would you still say it's ridiculous? They should just get on with it. I understand completely where they're coming from. I understand that it goes against the tradition that German football has built, a tradition that the fans are actually very proud of and, and take a lot of pride in. They've not taken this lying down. Uh, you know, we mentioned it a few weeks ago at one of the Bochum games. There were chocolate coins thrown on the pitch and Asano picked one up and tucked in and put the wrapper in his, in his sock. But my favourite one came at the Hansa Rostock game against Hamburg at the weekend. Somehow, someone got two remote control cars into that stadium, attached flares to them and drove them around the pitch. And there's a fantastic picture or a video of a steward trying to kick one, uh, just clipping it, and then it just sort of drives around him, uh, covering him in spoke. But if you're going to protest, do it like that. Do it properly. We've seen it in England with Reading and Sheffield Wednesday with tennis ball protests, which we saw in the Bochum Bayern game. Stopped the match twice. For more than like 10 minutes as well. Yeah. So 
they're having an effect which is more than just carrying a banner oh so i think it's it's going to be good and it's having an effect already because the asset management firm blackstone incorporated pulled out of a bit of the bidding process so people are starting to take notice of this and it won't be long i don't think until a club officially goes yeah no we don't want any part of this do you think though that german football will be able to survive in comparison to you know the money hungrier leagues such as the premier league such as la liga such as even league on to a certain extent do you think that they'll be able to still compete with all of those clubs when those clubs start making a hell of a lot more money because of the league's commercialized fashion or form i i think german football's got a fantastic tradition of and we've seen it so much recently of taking players younger players from those other leagues nurturing them and turning them into stars of football i think to get rid of any tradition that german football has is to get rid of the soul of german football a soul that every you know, you're going to need because it's part of the, the joy of watching bundesliga and zweite bundesliga football could there possibly be a league sponsor along the lines of, you know, it's one I absolutely despise, but EA Sports La Liga. You've got uh, Uber Eats League. Obviously, we had the Barclays Premier League before the Premier League became its own self-sustaining beast. So could we have the, I don't know, could we have the, the, the Paulina bundesliga <laughs> make it a beer sponsor just to make it even more german <laughs> change the shield to a big bejeweled pretzel and i think you know there's a sponsorship dream made in heaven here but jesus christ i mean will then the bundesliga just become that a feeder league for the big leagues and then kind of lose its status as being one of the top five leagues in europe even well, no, because we've seen a club like PSG who have an endless supply of funds fail to win a Champions League. You know, Bayern have money. Let's not deny that. But they have a considerably less amount of money than some of the state-owned clubs in the perceived bigger league, or like I said, the Premier League and things like that. And yet Bayern have won multiple Champions Leagues. City only just won their first one last season after all that money they'd spent. So there is the quality and there is a genuineness about the league that I think people outside of Germany, myself particularly, quite enjoy about it. The relationship clubs have with their fans, particularly being one of them. So I think to throw that away to piss that up against the wall for the sake of a few more million euros i don't think it's ever going to go that way and it'll probably be one of the more hipstery clubs and talking everyone's favorite berlin club union berlin probably will will say no we don't want any part of this the fans have made their opinions felt and we we'd like to make it public I mean, I'm just going to let that stand as it is because wholeheartedly in agreement, I think nothing else has to be added to this. 
I think we'll then pull a Bundesliga fan protest and throw a tennis ball, and by tennis ball, I mean curveball, and move right over to the Premier League. Now, breaking news as we are recording this, a little bit exciting when this happens. I did derail Lewis in the middle of something <laughs> in the previous section, but just a matter of days after falling ill, at the Crystal Palace training ground. Roy Hodgson has today stepped down as manager of Crystal Palace. He's managed them across six seasons, over 200 games. We also spoke about him a few weeks ago. Of course, he was into Milan manager, England manager, West Brom, Liverpool. But uh, Roy had this to say. He said, the club is very special to me and means so much. It's played a big part in my footballing life. I've really enjoyed my time here across six seasons as it's given me the chance to work with top-class players and staff doing what I love every day. However, un I understand, given recent circumstances, it may be prudent at this time for the club to plan ahead, and therefore I have taken the decision to step aside so that the club can bring forward their plans for a new manager as intended for this summer. So he was probably going to leave in the summer anyway, but he stepped down. It's sort of an open secret who the replacement is. It's former Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt manager. 99% sure that it's going to be Oliver Glasner. Of course, we wish Roy Hodgson all the best with his health and, you know, he's had a fantastic footballing career, so let's not forget to mention that. But, Oliver Glasner, Crystal Palace, good match? Why not? I think it'd be very cool to have someone who was very successful in the Bundesliga, well, I say in the Bundesliga, but more, more with the Bundesliga club um, in the Premier League because I think still it, it would help bridge the gap that still a lot of English fans have to the Bundesliga. You have guys who are coming over from the Bundesliga and they'll be like, oh, yeah, but he was just uh, you know, a young player in the Bundesliga. That's why he excelled there. So he really has to prove himself in the Premier League. And I think someone who coached Frankfurt to the win of the Europa League in 2022 um, and, and did so much really with Wolfsburg and Frankfurt as those two clubs progressed um to fight for european places to have someone like that for crystal palace who have always been that kind of you know mid-table club that maybe in a good season could have a shot at something like the uefa conference league or even the europa league um why not i think it, it'll be great for glasna i think glasna is a fantastic coach and um who knows maybe we'll see uh Crystal Palace fighting for some European Conference League stuff. Now, look, I say it was an open secret because he had been spotted at different football matches and it was well known. A little bit shoddy in the way Crystal Palace had gone about this. Maybe the pressure was on Roy Hodgson, but they hadn't actually sacked him. And of course, he stepped down of his own accord today little bit shoddy in the way they went about it but just a little bit on Oliver Glasner for people that don't know or haven't followed him at all so he tends to follow that 3-4-2-1 one, 
formation, which of course was very successful when he was at uh, Frankfurt. And you look at some of the players that Palace has, if they can keep the likes of Abiriza, if they can keep the likes of Mark Gehi, Joachim Anderson and things like that, they've got a good base. Dean Henderson in goal, possibly Michael Elise, but there is a lot of speculation around him, especially with that release clause. There's a good spine there. And Palace usually uncover some pretty rough gems, I think, as well. Yeah, I was about to say, I, th- I have the feeling that they're always that club that just falls short of making it to something like the Europa League or the Conference League. They they just miss out on it. Would you say that maybe they even have, or it was it was a long time coming that they needed like a fresh... Obviously, you know, in comparison to Roy Hodgson, there are a lot of coaches who would would be the younger um, addition. But, you know, to really get some fresh, young uh, talent into the coaching staff and maybe kind of revitalize that club almost. Because you could almost say that Roy Hodgson has been brought into Crystal Palace almost in the same function that Felix Magat is brought into some clubs as like, you know, the firemen, so to speak. Yeah, he did get that reputation, particularly after he left Crystal Palace the first time and he went to Watford in 2022, mm-hmm. it was one of those rescue appointments, I think. Didn't work. Um, he then went back to Crystal Palace in 2023. So it's it's a good time, I think, for him to step down. It's going out on his own terms, probably not in the way he wanted it. He probably would have liked to have seen the season out, but you do have to look after yourself. There's quiet cause, I'd say, for Crystal Palace fans to be cautiously optimistic. They do have a game against Everton this evening, which, of course, Glasner won't be involved in. But the rest of the week, I think, and leading up to what's going to look like his debut match next weekend, they have a game at home against Burnley on Saturday. Now, that is a big game. It's a very winnable game, particularly if Oliver Glasner has had some time with those players but we will talk about that next week if and when Oliver Glasner is appointed this week and whatever happens with this game we will cover but now never thought I'd say this but I'm firmly behind and on the side of David Moyes in an argument that's happening with West Ham fans West Ham we already touched on it a little bit last week West Ham fans, definitely not too pleased with David Moyes. Now, we both said that David Moyes probably will be gone by the end of the season. His contract is up at the end of the season, but there were some talks that he might sign a contract extension. Eighth in the Premier League at the minute. They've won the Conference League under David Moyes. They're still in the Europa League. Billy? Is this just West Ham fans having those unrealistic expectations of where West Ham should be? Because we've said that multiple times in you know multiple seasons on this podcast that sometimes West Ham fans just seem to think that West Ham should be you know where Brighton is at the minute. Yeah, I don't mean to be rude to any West Ham fans listening, but I think it is a case of trying to want more than what the club is capable of. I understand they have a a very big stadium. It's a lifeless, soulless bowl of a stadium built for athletics, not for football. But it's 
something. And I think David Moyes, I think, is probably a little bit sick of being asked these questions. And he said this after they lost at the weekend. Look, I'm pretty long in the tooth. You know what happens. I don't think you can ever please everybody. But I think it'd be hard to say that there'd been many better times at West Ham. Now, maybe, maybe they want something different. But I think if they're honest, they have to say it's probably been as good a times as they've had at, had at the club with, regarding winning a trophy, the league positions. But maybe they've had, maybe they've had managers who, who excite them more, possibly. But the one who's sitting here wins more. Don't really have to add anything to that, do you? I mean, <laughs> if, if you're going to clap back at fan protest against you being the manager of their club, I'd say that's probably a very good way to do it. List off, yeah, there might be some managers who excited them more. You know, you think about that period under Slavan Bilic when they had Lanzini and Dimitri Payet and things like that. Last season at the at the Bolin at Upton Park, probably excited them more. But David Moyes won you a European trophy. Okay, it's the Conference League. Make of that what you will, but it's still a European trophy that West Ham United have won. Yeah. You know, the last trophy that West Ham had won was the playoff final when Ricardo Vazte scored the winner at Wembley. That was almost like a decade and a bit ago. I mean, at the end of the day, ungrateful, to say the least. But... Sorry, it's incredibly ungrateful. 100%. It's fans wanting, like like you said, too much or more than than what they... It's not what they deserve. It's, it's, it's them just wanting more than what the team is capable of, I think, at the moment. Obviously, things can change. But say David Moyes goes at the end of the season. Okay, West Ham, mid mid-table... No European football next season, worst case scenario. Not even conference. Who who comes in? Who wants that job? If you're a manager, you look at that and go, yeah, but that previous manager won them a major trophy. You know, let's be honest, it's a major trophy. He finished in European places and it still wasn't enough. What have I got to do if I got to win the Premier League? Which I'm sorry, but West Ham, I'm sorry, but you know, City are probably closer to getting relegated than West Ham are to winning the Premier League. So maybe they should they should maybe just take their expectations down a little bit. But we did cover, you know, fan protests in this episode. Do you think that maybe at some point West Ham owners or West Ham management will have a look at these fan protests and be like, well, I think that's a reason to not offer David Moyes a contract extension, even if he does finish in conference league places at the end of the season, because the, you know, the headwind is just too strong. Probably it's possibly the way that it's going to go. And he'll get another job. hundred percent. will get another oh, job. Oh, definitely. He's if, done, yeah. If Oliver Glasner wasn't already lined up by Crystal Palace, you could have argued the case for him to be, the new Crystal Palace manager. So he he will get another one. Probably not immediately. He'll probably be, again, if someone gets a sack before Christmas, then they'll bring in David Boyce. And it would be hilarious if it was West Ham. I mean, <laughs> imagine the scenes. Or, or, hear me out. I know this would be your worst nightmare. 
But Eric Ten Hag gets the sack and he goes back to United. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! And thank you for listening to the last ever. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of Manchester United, Dan Ashworth is now you know a very very hot commodity up in the north of England, particularly wanted by two United clubs, so to speak. Obviously, he is right now at Newcastle United, but Manchester United would love to see him move from the tune down to Manchester. Now, Billy, just take us through the saga that is Dan Ashworth so far. Because a lot has happened in a in a very short space of time. Which when Manchester United are involved is I don't know, I don't recognize my own club. They are a serious <laughs> outfit again since uh Sir Jim came in. And uh I'm all for it. But Dan Ashworth, sporting director of Newcastle United, the supposed force behind the the new Newcastle United, Newcastle 2.0 has already told the bosses at Newcastle that he wants to leave to join Manchester United. They've placed him on what's called gardening leave, where he cannot do any of his job, basically. For 20 months, he can be employed, but he cannot do any of that for 20 months, unless Manchester United pay between 15 and £20 million in compensation. This is because... Ashworth is seen as one of the best in the world in his position. And people have spoken to other execs at Premier League football clubs, and they've said, if you want someone to spearhead a project, it's Dan Ashworth, former West Brom, Brighton, and England as well. I think this is a, a clear indication of where modern football is going, that we're seeing a sporting director command a transfer fee. We said it was weird when Bayern paid as much as they did for Julian Nagelsmann, like how often do you see a manager commanding a transfer fee? Let it's alone even, one, yeah. Even rarer to see a sporting director command a transfer fee. But in the past, United have paid £80 million for Harry Maguire, £82 million for Anthony, £75 million for Romelu Lukaku. They wanted Newcastle to pay £14.5 million for a four-month loan of Jesse Lingard a couple of years ago. <laughs> so there's an awful lot of money being thrown around by Manchester United. And you'd have to argue that 15 to 20 million pounds for the man that could potentially change the recent history of the club. Obviously he won't do it alone, but that seems like a good price to pay for somebody that can make the club a serious outfit again. I'll just go out on a limb here and say you wouldn't have any issue with United forking out the 15 to 20 million pounds for Dan Ashworth should that become a reality. Do you think, though, that it would set a dangerous precedent for, you know, execs in general and the fact that they would then command transfer fees that are as high as some, let's say, average Premier League players? Because you know, like we've like we've said, you know, Julian Nagelsmann started the whole thing, and now we might have, we might see 
transfer fees for managers. Now we're seeing it with sports execs. Do you think it's just a matter of time before it all just, you know, everything will have a transfer fee attached to it? Because there's a similar thing going on now where Bayern will probably have to pay a transfer fee for uh, Max Iba to become their new sport head of sport in the boardroom. I think this is possibly the start of the snake eating its own tail with football. I, this is the start of, if you're throwing that amount of money around for what was at one point record-breaking transfer fees for players, it's it's a difficult one. I don't think they'll pay 15 to 20. I think they'll probably try and come to a compromise. So Newcastle want him on 20 months of gardening leave. That would make him start at the top of the 26-27 season. Um, so obviously they don't want him to work next season, the first season with Ineos's part ownership of the club. You know, reports that obviously he's he's had access to all of the data, all of the transfer targets, all yeah. of the all of the dark black magic secrets going on at Newcastle. So if, if they could prevent him bringing that to United for at least a summer, they could go out and get transfer targets almost unopposed. Because if he goes in and goes, yeah, they're going to go for for that player, and that they're going to offer this. I think if you offer just a little bit more, you definitely get him. It's definitely dangerous. But you look at some of the players that he signed, particularly when he was at Brighton. So Caro uh, Mitoma, two point seven million. Alexis oh. McAllister now at Liverpool for seven million, four and a half million on Caicedo, who went for north of a hundred and ten. That's insane. Mark Kukurea, who was 15.4. It's not happened at Chelsea, but they got north of 50 for him. Leandro Trossard, a very good player in that Arsenal squad. He signed Isak, Gordon, Harvey Barnes, Tino Livramento and Sven Botman for Newcastle. Sandro Tonali's probably a little bit of a black sheep in that one because yeah, I was the, yeah. could argue that the due diligence wasn't done properly on that signing. But on the whole, I think it is dangerous to start paying transfer fees for execs managers you can kind of understand yeah definitely because they also command the same you know wages to some extent you know if we looked at julian nagelsmann who Bayern are certainly now glad they have off their payroll because he was commanding a fee of eight million a year it, it makes sense but you know when you look at execs especially with the knowledge that they have Come transfer window and transfer signings. You can see why Newcastle would want to make sure that they have him on lock as much as they do. Because those secrets, you said it yourself, those secrets going out, United get those, it's game over for them. Do you think it's still understandable why execs then can command a, a fee that may be as high as some managers? Well, all Dan Ashford would have would have to do is sit down in meetings with Ineos and the the new powers that be at Old Trafford and say, "Look, this is what I've done at these clubs. This is what I can bring to you." And again, another little bit of breaking news: as we're recording, Newcastle have confirmed that Dan Ashworth has commenced a period of gardening leave. Darren Ailes, the CEO, said, "Our exciting journey doesn't stop, and the process to recruit a new director will begin." immediately so that's almost oh. almost a confirmation that it's going to happen it's just a case of whether it happens 
now, the start of next season, or the start of the season after, because obviously there's a lot to work on with this compensation agreement with Newcastle United. So, Billy, are you now skipping from one foot to the other? Again, it, it's a it's a huge indication of the state of modern football that I'm slightly excited about the appointment of a of a board, you know, of a of an official at a club, of a of a sporting director. Whereas when you were 10, 10, 15 years ago when you were a kid, it's like, oh my god, we're signing this player. And now it's come on, we're getting Dan Ashworth to to run this <laughs> shit. <sighs> it's a small part of me just died inside admitting that. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the car salesman today told me, oh yeah, 2007, buddy, that's 17 years ago. What? What? I don't like it. Make it go away. But that's probably a good place to leave it for this week. But as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One football show on your podcast provider of choice. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.